Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Top Gun Maverick, the long, long, long awaited sequel to Top Gun starring Tom Cruise, and man was it a lot of fun. Uh, It was also a lot of fun to talk about it, and joining me today is Darren Lundberg from Nostalgia Cast. And yeah, we have a great conversation, lots of good puzzle pieces, so that's coming up in a second. Before we get to it, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what we do here on the show, you can rate and review us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Pocket Casts. If there happens to be a five-star button, we would appreciate it if you hit that five-star button. And make sure you're subscribed while you're at it. And you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod over on Twitter or Instagram. And check out our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And last but not least, don't forget we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. There's a lot of advanced Piecing It Together episodes on there right now. This might be the most we've ever had at one time, so check it out. Patreon.com slash Rosen. So I'm really excited to talk about Top Gun Maverick, because right now it's probably my number one movie of the year. So let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. All right, Darren Lundberg from Nostalgia Cast is joining us to talk about a movie filled with nostalgia. We're talking about Top Gun Maverick. Darren, how's it going? It's going fine, David. How are you doing? I'm great. This has been like a marathon of podcasting the last like five straight days. I'm going on a little <laughs> trip after this recording and like, man, I'm exhausted, but I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Um, I'm pretty sure you liked it a lot. I uh-huh. loved it. Um, yeah. I'm super excited to talk about it. Before we yeah. get to it, though, it's your first time on the show. So why don't you tell uh, people a little about you and your podcast? Okay. Well, again, it's an honor, David. I- I've been listening to Piecing It Together for a long time. I think uh, I had you on. Like it's, uh, It was an honor having you on our show. Nostalgia it was Cast, a fun we- time. Yeah, and we chatted about Little Shop of Horrors, which is, that's usually what we do. We take movies from our childhood or movies that we haven't seen since our childhood, and we rewatch them just to see how they look you know, whether it's not through rose colored lenses or, you know, when you're not caught up in the hype of it at the time to see, you know, if they stand the test of time, if it's a movie that needs to be remade or if it's worth that nostalgia, um, Top Gun is definitely something that uh, we'll talk about nostalgia that you already mentioned. Sure. 
so it's it's just been it's fun like me and my partner johnny we just talk about these like we grew up together and we bonded over 90s movies and we shot everything together so just being able to revisit those as you know as a team like that's been really big we've had like a lot of really great guests including yourself um so it's it's been really like I don't know, eye-opening. And it's been an honor talking to so many people um, that have like the same ideals and same looks at movies that that we do. So so yeah, Nostalgia Cast, that's us in a in a nutshell. Yeah, it's a great podcast. And I had a lot of fun talking about Little Shop of Horrors on there. And yeah, it's cool how like everybody just connects with things in different ways and like the way they look back at these movies from when they were younger. Top Gun, like you said, is a really good example of that. I mean, I didn't really have much nostalgia for this movie. I I saw it maybe once or twice when I was a kid hmm. and I just watched it right before the pandemic. They had the I, I'm guessing 30th anniversary. I, I'm not sure, but it was at the Dolby Cinemas across the country uh in 2019, I believe that was. Um okay. or 2017 maybe something like that. Uh but that was the last time I saw it and at that point it had been at least 20 25 years. <sighs> And I didn't remember anything. It was like watching it for the first time. And I, I don't know, are, is Top Gun a big one for you? It is as far as, uh, you know, we talk about all the time. My mom, like I was born uh, an only child and my dad died when I was two. And so she just, as a way of being babysitter, she would leave me with movies and uh, just, and I would sit and just for two hours or four hours and she would rent movies and I could watch two in a row and she'd know I'd be fine because I wouldn't move anywhere. I'd have like a dream yeah. or something like that. But as far as Top Gun goes, that was one of her movies. I do remember seeing in a theater and I think I tweeted about this before, but the the iconic volleyball scene where we've got sure. everybody like flexing, the, the Rick Ross Rossovich's slider when he does his little pose I remember specifically my mom going woo like in the theater <laughs> yeah. and it made me as like a nine-year-old so uncomfortable that I realized that my mom had a libido mm, and like it was kind yeah. of an awakening so I've, I've got kind of a nostalgia for that so it's it's always been a movie that's been a part of my I guess lexicon you'll say mm -hmm. and then um my wife when we got married that's actually Top Gun is her favorite movie mm, um we nice. like to joke around about how the 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 makeout scene or the sex scene with McGillis and Cruz, how they're, there's a lot of tongue. Like we watched that a, a few Lots. days ago and there's a lot of tongue. Yeah. And our joke uh, with my wife is that she, she thought that's how you got pregnant. Like when she first saw the movie on video. <laughs> so I've obviously got some nostalgia for the movie that way. I don't like, again, you're, you're watching a lot of people like reassess the movie before they watch the sequel. And they're, it's equivalent of hate watching it where people just didn't connect with it. And they felt like the need to, to nitpick it or make mm. fun of it or rip it to shreds and i i don't get offended by that i don't get a, like offended by people that like overpraise the movie i just think it's a fine as far as 80s go 80s movies go it's a probably one of the best representative movies of the 80s where it's all flash yeah it's all sensation it's all dependent on the soundtrack it's all dependent on the movie star megawatt persona especially which Cruz was just excelling in by that point in 86 oh, and it's yeah. got the the sweaty body so it's it's like the epitome of 80s movies so it's hard for me to get mad at it because that's what you went to to watch in the theaters yeah. in the 80s so uh, like nostalgia i don't think it's like one of my favorite movies, but it's one that I don't mind. And it's just, it's fun to look at, especially the, the homoerotic stuff. Um, <laughs> the Quentin Tarantino monologue, if nobody's ever heard that when he oh, talks sure. about, Oh my gosh, so funny. And, and he nails it. He nails it. Especially the part with Kelly McGillis dressing like a boy. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. elevator and Maverick is all over her. I just thought that was just so funny. So it's like I said, it's not a movie I get offended by if somebody's going to make fun of it or overpraise it. it. It just is. It is what it is. And it accomplished what it needed to. Yeah, I, I think it is one of the the many cornerstones of the 80s. And like, 
even though I didn't like love it or anything, it's, it's such a big, important part of what like makes the eighties, the eighties. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I hadn't like revisited it in a long time. I do remember playing the Nintendo game a lot and how impossibly hard that was. It was like the hardest game ever. Didn't you have to like connect to an air, like a a jet fuel carrier and you had to just get it just right. Yeah. No, I I didn't do it one time. Like I must've played that game for months and didn't do a single time. And so annoying, but yeah, just mastering the the gas up. That's crazy. (laughs) Well, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces and we'll talk about everything that we liked and whatever we think maybe didn't work along the way. But what do you have for your first puzzle piece? Well, if we're going to, and again, this is kind of a a three-way because I I think you, you, you might have something that fits into the same kind of category, but if we're talking, what's the term for it? Legacy sequels. Like I know sure. it was, it was legacy sequels until about two days ago, and then I started seeing everybody on Twitter call it le- like legacy sequels. Mm, and if clever. we're talking about those, we're talking about you know Creed. We're talking about Mad Max Fury Road. Um, the latest Scream I would count as a legacy sequel. Sure. So the one that I wanted to talk about is uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm. Um, mainly as I don't know how to I don't know how to say this. It, it's like kind of a counterpoint. I know that um, our mutual friend Jason from Binge Movies loves yeah. Ghostbusters Afterlife, and he guessed it on your show, and you talked about that. And I know yeah. that you were kind of in the middle on it. I was I was a little mixed on it. Yeah. yeah. So and Jason was like way up here. I think like your connection. I like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I like to tell people that I'm usually the one. And as a couple that I get excited about movies, I'm the one that my heart is pounding. I'm the one that goes to see Batman begin seven times, you know, in the mm-hmm. theater. Sure. And my wife is the one that's usually calm, but like Ghostbusters was such a big part of our lives that when we sat to watch the movie, I was surprised because I was just kind of in the middle of it and I was enjoying it, but she was like giggling at all the jokes and cackling at everything that was happening. So she was like really getting into it. So mm-hmm. I think if you've got a really strong connection to Ghostbusters, it works. But right. I don't know, like if you were to take that connection out of it, I don't know if it works. There's some good stuff with the uh, McKenna Grace and the Carrie Coon characters. That that dynamic is fun and it works. Yeah. But as far as depending on and being so relevant uh, or respectful to the Ghostbusters mythos, sure. um, I don't know if it works if you're not if you don't have that connection. I just honestly don't. I get that Jason really likes it and it works for him, but and I enjoyed like everything. But again, I just kind of looked at it as yeah, I I know what you're doing. I don't know if this works as a movie. Yeah, and I don't know your opinion on that. What it, so what that does? What the Spider-Man movie did is all the way through. It's just these nonstop like mentions or callbacks to these sure. movies. Yeah, and yeah. to me, it doesn't really work because I don't want to be, I don't want that. Like, I don't want, right. you know, when it has the Bokeem Woodbine character say, who are you going to call? It's funny, but it's like, well, what narrative purpose does this, I need like to be told. Sure. So that's layered all through the movie. But what I loved about Maverick is it gets all that stuff out of the way with like the first half hour. Mm-hmm. Like it, it redoes like the, you know, this is the elite school that they are part of and they called it Top Gun. And, and then they have Danger Zone that comes in after the Harold Faltermeyer score is playing. And it, it does the whole thing that the jet's taken up. It's like an exact repeat of the first movie. Mm-hmm. And then they introduce the Penny character, the Jennifer Connelly character. So you have all these throwbacks and obviously the Miles Teller rooster character, sure. all that. But what, it, what I really liked, I really, really liked it. Uh, is that it got all that stuff out of the way within the first half hour. And then it focused and became a story about grief and about loss and about, and then when it does the whole payoff at the, you know, it feels like a movie and not just um, a legacy sequel, even though it still kind of ties in with those themes. 
Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I don't want to sit here and like complain about Ghostbusters Afterlife too much, but I really do feel like it's kind of the uh, bad side of this equation. It, it's leaning on those things too much, whereas, yeah. and there's certain parts about it that I don't really, I can't even really explain why they don't work. Like, for example, of course, spoilers all around on this show, but um, <laughs> we, 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 bring, we bring back Ghost Egon in, in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Here we get Val Kilmer back and, you know, is that the right thing to bring Val Kilmer back? I think almost everybody who watches this movie says yes. Uh, Could it be seen as exploitative the way that I see Ghost Egon? uh, I think some people might say yes to that. But for some reason, it all works here. And it just feels like I think because of that story, like you were talking about, there's an actual story being told that all this is in service of. And it's not just hey, remember all this stuff, that's why it feels like there's some merit to uh, to leaning on some of these beats from the original. Yeah, and, you know, it does have that. If there's any fault to this movie, it's that it does rely maybe a little too heavily on that stuff. It doesn't, mm-hmm. like, do the penny love interest, like, to the point, oh, do you remember the time? Because they didn't really focus on Like, my wife had to lean over and say, oh, by the way, this is probably the penny character that they joked about, like, with the Admiral's daughters. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have even known. And it, it doesn't matter because it still feeds into the story it's being told. Yeah. I, I guess you could argue that the, the Val Kilmer thing is kind of the same as Egon. You're, you're kind of trotting out this actor that, well, not as far as has passed away, but his career might be behind him. Sure. But I just thought that it... I don't know. You you could make that argument that it's, it works for the Egon stuff. It's a little uncomfortable bringing Harold Ramis back, even though I thought they did a good job with that. Mm. But the Val Kilmer, the Iceman thing, yeah. that stuff, I thought it tied in, again, with that theme of loss and with the theme of letting go. And it, they just had this nice, I thought it worked as like, if it's been 30 or, or whatever years or 40, whatever years since they've been together, they would kind of have more of a connection. I just thought that their scenes together were really sweet, especially if you know that I think Tom Cruise fought to bring Kilmer in. Right, right, absolutely. He definitely did from everything I've read. And I think that's, you know, I think it's great. I, I think it's a really beautiful send-off for the character. It's mm. probably a send-off for Val Kilmer as an actor. And yeah. I, I think it's it's really respectful in the way it's done. Um, I'll just jump ahead to another puzzle piece. Uh, since we're talking legacy sequels, yeah. you, you, you threw it in there in the middle, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Creed as my mm-hmm. legacy sequel puzzle piece. Um, also, a legacy sequel that I think really works. Uh, yes. And part of what works so well about it, I think, is how we're, we're focusing on new characters. There's new stories to tell, but we get to know so much more about Rocky in the process yeah. and we get to know what he's been up to. We get to, to know that there's a life that's been lived since the last movie. And it, it, it does a really expert balance of being able to tell a new story and bring you back to this old character. Um, and that, that's an exciting way to do a legacy sequel rather than yeah. just repeating the beats and just resting on that. Yeah, Creed, uh, it's an argument for Creed or Fury Road as far as being like the greatest, because doing it right, it, you know, it's rocky. You don't it, you don't have to do like another like uh, battle to the finish where he's in the ring. It's just him. It's his next stage in his life. I think that if you were to 
take the Rocky, this might be controversial, but take the first Rocky, skip everything, maybe two, skip mm. everything right to Rocky Balboa. That's a nice next chapter. See where he's come from. Like he's, he sure. owns the bar and he's reliving his old life. He's dealing with the sun. And then you cut and you do Creed. That's a nice trilogy as far as oh, yeah. to show the stages of his life. And they do such a good job. It's such a beautifully structured film, Creed is, because I don't know, like you said, it's just, you find out so much more about Rocky. It feeds into, you know, uh, the Michael B. Jordan characters, uh, you know, his his uh, legacy he's trying to live up to and his story. And so it's just, yeah, beautifully done. Mad Max Fear Road is the same because it doesn't rely on so much callbacks. It's just another adventure that yeah. just happens to be beautifully structured. And again, you know, we, we chatted a little bit. Like I, I wrote you and I said, do you think that because Top Gun has been, what, it's delayed like two years, three years? How long has it been delayed? Yeah, for? 2019 it was originally supposed to be. Oh, so. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I, I I wrote you and I said, do you think that this movie is getting such high praise because it's come out after all these other legacy sequels that you've seen, like Ghostbusters or Spider-Man, that arguably don't do... I've had arguments with people. I don't, I don't know if I count them as movies because they're, they're so tied up in, it's not what I go to movies for. I don't want to yeah, go to movies. Fan to service, have, basically. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's fun, but it's like, well, again, tell me a story. That's not what I'm here for. The fan service doesn't, doesn't do it for me. Yeah. So I think that, you know, Top Gun Maverick works that way because once, and maybe it's not as good as Creed or Fury Road because it does have to deal with all that fan service stuff at the beginning. But yeah. again, the Val Kilmer stuff, as soon as his character passes, again, spoilers, if you haven't seen the movie, you know, it, it beca it's still a movie about loss and about letting go and about, like, making it to the next step. And so it's just, they're just so beautifully done. If you do it right, I just think that if this movie had come out before, like in 2019, before Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. before Spider-Man, I don't know if it would have gotten the same attention. I just think its release is... I mean, it's good. I don't want to, don't get me wrong. It's a great movie. I just think that it, in retrospect, people looking at all these legacy sequels that aren't working, mm -hmm. Top Gun Maverick works as a sequel because it's more invested in story and characters and theme. I think. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I haven't watched Cobra Kai. Are you a Cobra Kai fan? Because that's another watched, thing that was on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched the first season and we did a short little episode on it because I was just having so much fun with it. What I like about Cobra Kai is that it does all the fan service, but it tweaks a lot of it so that a lot of things are seen from different perspectives. The one I always go to is in the first Karate Kid, Daniel's being beat up by Johnny and his cronies and Mr. Miyagi saves him. It's a heroic moment. Mm -hmm. And then in Cobra Kai, there's a part where Johnny, he's the focus of the series and he's at a like a gas station and this kid comes like is being bullied and he gets beat up by these other kids. And yeah. so Johnny steps in and he saves him. So it's a repeat of that scene with Miyagi, mm. but then it cuts and you have the, uh, the, the Daniel character. He hears that Johnny beat up some kids and he's like, Oh, this Johnny is never going to change. But we know as an audience that that's not what happened. So yeah, the, sh the show does that. And it I haven't really got, we've watched the second season. haven't watched the third season yet, but it does <laughs> the fan service. It's all fan service, but at yeah. least it does tweak it a little bit. Um, I would definitely recommend seeing that first season. They're like little half hour bites of episodes. So they go yeah. by really fast. The thing that I just can't imagine, like just as a little tangent, but like, what movies from this era are we going to get legacy sequels for in 20 years that didn't already get dozens of sequels? Like, it's so, 
hard to imagine. There's nothing like, yeah. you know. Well, would you think this is the next stage? Like, I complain a lot about superhero movies just because there's so many of them, and sure, they're, they're so reliant on connectivity instead of, like, I guess the Batman is different. I guess Doctor Strange is is different because they're made by actual filmmakers. Mm. Um, I haven't seen either of those yet, which is again, it's weird because I think we we're talking before. For me to see a movie opening weekend is very rare. So it's yeah. exciting for me to talk about Top Gun Maverick. But nice. again, unless you have, I think the MCU is just like a, a conveyor belt. It just rolls out the stuff and it's the same every time. I'm not trying to knock them because that's what you want. But after, I think the last MCU movie besides Spider-Man that I saw, no, I saw Black Widow because it was just free. But mm. Black Panther was the last one I saw, speaking of Creed. Okay. Um, and then I just was like, this is great. I love being told stories. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't want to like have everything retcon that I invest in. So sure. I, I'm just wondering, do you think this is the next state, like the legacy sequels? Is this going to be like you're talking about in 20 years, we're going to have um, like, I don't know, we're going to have uh, malignant, which you're a big, like a, a legacy <laughs> sequel of malignant. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, is that where we're headed now? Is that the we, next stage? We can only hope so. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a, probably a bad, bad example because yeah, malignant yeah. is something you want to, you want to revisit. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. We're, we're in a weird moment. That's for sure. With, with the superhero movie, movies being everything but that's part of the reason i think we're also excited about this movie that we're talking about so yeah yeah um but what do you got for your next piece um well you, you didn't bring it up first so i'm sorry if i'm stealing this from you. i know that uh, somebody wrote something on twitter and you wrote like a puzzle piece for it uh i'm gonna have to say star wars here oh sure sure just well obviously star wars is a repeat of like you know war movies from before because star wars is a pastiche and so they're gonna have that yeah i just thought like that part where they're training and by the way what i loved I guess we could have picked Top Gun as a puzzle piece. But what I loved about this movie, Top Gun is, again, it's all sensation. It's funny because nothing is really structured. Like, they, it's all about Maverick, like, learning to be humbled. And mm -hmm. then Goose dies. And then he's humbled. And then he graduates. And then, like, oh, by the way, we've got another 10 minutes in the movie. Here's an action sequence we're going to throw in. So it's, sure. it's not – what I loved about this is from the beginning when Maverick is hired or brought on or called back or whatever you want to say – there's a mission that they have to prepare for. And it's all about the mission, all about how the characters are going to qualify. And the mission, again, comes down to diving in the middle of like a ravine, like a crevice or whatever, that's impossible to hit a target. And yeah. they're all training to do it. So that just obviously reminded me big time of Star Wars. And again, sure. because Star Wars is a pastiche, I can't exactly look at Top Gun Maverick and say, oh, that's ripping it off because Star Wars has ripped off so many things. Sure. It's a, it's a yeah. big mishmash of stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I watched this movie with, with my buddy BG and he leaned over and he goes, bro, they're doing Star Wars. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it's totally, it's Star Wars. And then you could, you know, as far as legacy sequels, you could bring up Force Awakens as well. So, yeah, you know, yeah. they got the, the new the new crew mixed in with the old. So, you know, definitely you got a whole lot of Star Wars in there. So definitely great piece there. Sorry I will... if I stole one from you. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure we're going to have some uh, some overlap here, especially with all the legacy stuff. I mean, you know, I, I had Fury Road on my list. I have Creed on my list, you know. But I'll jump to, uh, you said we could have had Top Gun on our list. Um, I'm not going to bring up Top Gun. I'm going to bring up the Mission Impossible series. Okay. Uh, we got more more Tom Cruise just 
really upping the ante every single time. And he didn't have to with Top Gun. It could have just been like a straight up, you know, older guy returning for this action sequence, you know. But he goes all in with the stunts and the over the top, like crazy, crazy stuff that you do not see elsewhere. And yeah. he's he's really just continuing that trajectory of what he's been doing in the last few Mission Impossible movies where you really kind of question, you know, is he going to survive these movies in real life? You know, um, this guy's it, got a death wish. Yeah, it, it's a, it's amazing. And like, you know, of course, you know, with any celebrity, you know, are, are these people people to be celebrated exactly like i don't know but yeah. he what he does for movies though is so exciting and so much fun to watch and the last few mission impossibles have been just so incredible and this is right up there with them well it continues that trajectory if you were to look at the mission impossibles i know it's had there are people who aren't fans of two there are people who aren't fans of three i think as a consensus I think we can basically kind of agree that from the fourth one on, it's been just better and better and better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so Top Gun does continue that trajectory of being better. It's Top Gun. You know, there's there's no way to go but up. I don't I don't mean to be negative sure, about that. Sure. <laughs> but it's and even my wife agrees. It's just there for sensation. It's just there to give you stuff in the moment, but it's not structured as an actual like narrative that that builds from the beginning to the end, like this one does. Mm-hmm. Um it, the Mission Impossibles, you're invested in the characters. What I loved about this one, it, it does something that I love movies that they do. And again, seeing people when they do when they do reviews of movies, up to the watching Maverick, like the week before, two weeks before, people were saying that this is the greatest movie they've ever seen. Mm. Like it was making them ball their eyes out. And I watched the first half thinking, well, this is fine. Like, I don't understand what, like, it's great. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not like blowing my mind or anything. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment, I don't remember when, I think it might be when the, the Kazansky character dies, but, and then, or no, maybe it's the part where Maverick, he's been kicked off the team after Kazansky dies and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes to see Penny and she's like, well, you're not going to give up. You're going to figure out something. Sure. And it cuts to the scene where he does the whole mission in two minutes and 15 seconds. And everybody's like pumping their fists and everybody's so excited. And that I think where it went from good to great for me. Yes. Yes. And it just really lifted, but it does something that we take advantage of is I didn't realize they were building the characters. They were building the themes in the movie. Like we talked about with loss and grief mm. to the point where when they're, they're ready for the mission. And when Tom Cruise takes off of that jet carrier and has the shot of him, like, you know, jutting forward from that moment on, we're invested in those, those characters sure. because they built them so well. And that's why it's so it's not just the action of the jet fighting scenes, even though that's very, very good. It definitely has that Tony Scott flair, but with better geography sure. and spatial composition. Cause I, the first top gun is just a mishmash of shots. I don't like, there's no continuity from shot to shot. I don't yeah. Know there's probably only so much they were able to do at that time. So yeah, absolutely. It's like they shot like 50 hours of footage and just cobbled together what they could. But right, right. I just thought in this one, the choreography and the way it was structured, you could tell where they were, you could tell where they were going, you could tell the angles or other planes and stuff like that. But they built these characters so that you're emotionally invested in what they're going through. Yeah, yeah. And I love when movies do that. You know, Fellowship of the Ring does that. You know, a lot of the greats, uh, Wages of Fear does that. You know, you, you're invested in these people's plights. Um, yeah, I just, as far as the Mission Impossible, it's, this is a next evolutionary step forward like like uh you know rogue nation was from ghost protocol or fallout was from rogue nation so that's definitely a that's an awesome puzzle piece come I, to it. I cannot wait for the next one and re- real quick before our, our next puzzle piece here you know we're talking about these characters we should just you know mention i mean 
you know, Miles Teller really just steps it up in this. I mean, he's so yeah. good as Rooster. Glenn Powell is like a big stand-up here as Hangman. And I would say John Hamm is doing great work as kind of a thankless role as like, you know, the kind of the asshole. But he really <laughs> he really sells it and does it well, you know? Yeah, he's got... It's a crown-pleasing, thankful moment. You know, you've got yeah. Ed Harris kind of rasping away like at the beginning and just... Yeah. It's Ed Harris, man. He's going to command that screen. Like, if you're going to get anybody, get Ed Harris. You know? Oh, yeah. You know? And so, yeah, and you've got the Bob character. You've got the uh, the mm-hmm. Phoenix character. They're they're all, I don't know if they're super well-defined, but you know who they are. You know what their goals are. You know sure. what they're trying to overcome. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it's a great, and again, the scene with, with Cruz and Kilmer, there's a friendship there. And just the way that they talk, and when Cruz is getting ulterior, I talk about, don't send him out. Don't make me send these kids out. And I was like, this is, he, Tom Cruise, he always surprises me because I know he does these stunts, but he's a great actor, I think. Like, oh, he yeah. really can, he invests and he makes you believe and he can stand up to Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jason Robards. And I don't know, it, it, it's just nice seeing him actually get to act instead of just, um, you know, jumping off of buildings or off of planes, which sure. we, we love, but. Yeah, he needs a break once in a while. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, what do you what do you got for your next piece? Okay, well, let's see. I I had it. It came down to two. Like I'm trying to. If we're are we going to do four pieces or five pieces each here? Well, I mean, I've got since we kind of had a little bit of overlap. I I've got two more like good ones. So okay, okay. Yeah. Well, let me. I'll I'll talk about this one because the other one I have uh, behind enemy lines with with because um, okay. again the part where they get caught behind behind enemy lines that that's a puzzle piece but I don't know if I really like that movie so <laughs> <laughs> Fair. it did remind me of it but I do want to talk about since we brought up Mission Impossible I want to talk about Christopher McQuarrie mm-hmm. and uh, how he co-wrote Edge of Tomorrow and Edge of Tomorrow that's my puzzle piece by the way it okay. it reminds me it's a very it's Groundhog Day. Like, this is Top Gun. Like, it's a very, oh, I know what I'm getting, right? But then it sure. does this thing where it twists it and it makes it inventive. And it's a fun story. And, and it's, I don't know, Edge of Tomorrow was just so fun because you expect something going in, but they were able to twist so many things mm. that it was a, a good, fun, solid experience for me. And looking back on it, I think Macquarie's been working with Cruz since uh, Valkyrie. Like, he wrote the screenplay. I know he... Sure, that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, which is a Brian Singer movie, obviously. And then, uh, you know, doing... He co-wrote, or ghost-wrote some of Ghost Protocol. Obviously, he did Rogue Nation, which is probably my favorite Mission Impossible, just because I liked how it was such a good, solid, straightforward spy thriller after the the Looney Tunes cartoon of Ghost Protocol. Mm -hmm. And then you watch Macquarie do Fallout, and he's just excelling as a director. Like, the action and the dramatic stakes and the tension of that movie... Is inc- yeah, you're right. It's incredible. Like people compared Fallout to Mad Max Fury Road, and again, you're walking in going, "Yeah, right." Like, how's he going to do that? But sure. when action movies are defined not by dialogue, but by the actions of the characters and what they do, like yeah. Fallout is all about that. Like everything Cruz does is all about his character. When he saves that that cop in France from being shot, that's his character. Like he doesn't resort to murder unless it's going to save like, you know, a human life or something, which is baked all through the movie. I just think Macquarie, and again, talking about Edge of Tomorrow, I, I think if it wasn't for him, I don't know if this, if Maverick would have had that human connection that it does. I'm ready to lay all the blame on Macquarie for that because we've seen him do it with the Mission Impossibles. We've seen him do it with Jack Reacher. We've seen him do it with, again, Ghost Protocol or, um, uh, I have Valkyrie was, I guess, pretty good. But Macquarie is just a great writer as far as infusing drama and character and, and humanity into his movies. Um, so, again, it just reminded me that I was just so thankful for that man that his yeah. name was attached to this movie. 
Edge of Tomorrow actually is a good candidate for what's the legacy sequel we'll finally get like 10 years from now or something because yeah. it's such a cult classic and like it underperformed at the time, but I feel like everybody loves it since it's come yeah. out. Like it, it's just so damn good. Um, I, right. I there, There's an article in, uh, I think it was on Vulture uh, that was comparing Top Gun Maverick to a bunch of different Tom Cruise movies. And they mentioned Edge of Tomorrow and said, like, about how, like, is this just happening over and over again at the Top Gun Academy? <laughs> you know, just the same situation over and over. <laughs> they could do that. Yeah. <laughs> do a crossover. Why not? I'm, I'm down for more Glenn Powell. I, I'm yeah, down. absolutely. Good. He's, a, he's, an, he's a fine looking guy. I don't mind saying myself. <laughs> Very much so. So uh, I'll, I'll go to another puzzle piece. One that is a movie that I've brought up many times on this show as something that I don't like, but I do think it's a, uh, an apt comparison here. And that's Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Um, okay. A movie that narratively i i just i don't care about any of the characters or really much of anything that's going on but boy does he know how to shoot some flight scenes and some action in the skies and i do think that uh there are some cues that uh kaczynski is taking from the way that the action is shot in dunkirk and if you're going to take anything you might as well take those visceral flight scenes and all that kind of sky action Right. Well, we might disagree firmly on Dunkirk. I think uh -huh. for me personally, I think it's it might be Christopher Nolan's greatest movie or my favorite Christopher a, Nolan. A lot of people would agree with you. It's just it's just not for me. Right. Yeah. And I think the reason for that, again, the characters are hard to connect with. What I loved about uh, and this might be a huge tangent, but I have to defend Dunkirk, Go for you know, it. but it's the way that Christopher Nolan plays with time, you've got the three stories in the movie. You've got the Tom Hardy character whose story takes place over an hour is technically mm -hmm. what happens. You've got the, um, on the boat, the Cillian Murphy and the, I forget his name and I hate myself. He's always well, in Bridge of Spies for Spielberg. He was in BFG. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. that story, which takes place over the course of, I think, a day. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the whole thing with the the main characters, the Harry Styles character, whatever, like the 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 teen or the young soldiers. That whole story takes place over the course of a week. Mm -hmm. But what I loved about Dunkirk is the way that Nolan's able to org to structure it so that you feel like everything takes place at the same time. Mm. Like if the, it's nighttime and that cuts to the next scene and it's daytime, you just assume that, oh, it's the next day, but that's not really what it is. It's still the same scene on the boat or the scene where, you know, Cillian Murphy refuses to go down into the, the, the bottom of the boat because, and he doesn't say why, but then you cut to the scene of them on the battleship and they all go down in the, the, the bunk or the below and then they're attacked or missile attacks and they all drown and die. So I don't know. I just thought that the way that he structured the time was masterful. And just as far as how we watch movies, that's, it was, I remember watching the movie, like just gaga for it because I was like, mm. I can't believe like he's doing this and pulling this off like the way. So it's a, it's a different, I get where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that you don't know what you're talking about. Cause you do, obviously you're the great David Rosen, but you know, <laughs> I, I just, that's what I liked about Dunkirk. I do see that the battle sequence, in the, and again, what's great about Dunkirk is it it kicks Nolan's like weakness for dialogue out the door. Like it's purely a visual movie. If there wasn't sure. that one scene where you're listening to Branagh talk with the soldiers about the stakes, like that's the one scene where you rely on dialogue to understand what's going on. It could be a silent movie. And yeah, watching Tom Hardy, just his eyes, which again, yeah. you do in this, Tom Cruise can act the hell you oh, know, yeah. out of a scene with his eyes. I do that. That does tie in. And there's, you know, the booming 
action. I have a hard time calling Dunkirk action because that makes you feel like you're energized by it. But in war, um, that's yeah. and being energized and being pumped is is not kind of how I look at war stuff. But you get what I'm saying. The aesthetics sure. of it is, yeah. and, and I definitely see what you're talking about with uh, with Maverick there and how Kaczynski's able to ape those. One of these days, one of these days, I'm going to revisit Dunkirk and give it another chance. I mean, in the opening, you know, day of of watching it, it just it just didn't click yeah. for me. But hearing you, you know, defend it, you, you did an admirable job there. I gotta <laughs> say. So, yeah. But hey, like on Nostalgia Cast, we're all about we never get into arguments. That's that never solves anything. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've got and something that I love about you, something I love about Kevin Brackett, something I love about Jason. You know, all these people and Brian Scuttle. All these people out there, I've never felt that we've disagreed, but we're always able to see eye to eye. Like you and I, I don't know if we've ever disagreed, but we're able to at least have conversations and that gets us somewhere. So sure. if you were to watch Dunkirk and not like it, it's not like I'm going to stop talking to you. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> sure. it's, it's your opinion. And, and if you're going to give an opinion of a movie, I'm going to absolutely side with you on it, even though I, my opinion might be different. So yeah. revisit it. That, that's great. I like that I made some kind of dent. But yeah, if you end yeah. up not liking it still, don't worry about it. I'm still going to respect you. And I will always be excited for new Christopher Nolan, even if I don't always love his movies. Uh, yeah. Some of them are really great and some of them are eh, but it's always exciting when a new Nolan movie is coming, you know? Absolutely. Yep. I agree. So, what do you got for your next piece? Okay, so for the final piece, it's going to sound a little weird, and I'm going to have to delve into something that we've chatted about recently, but I'm going to, my last puzzle piece is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. And what I mean by this, okay, I'm, this is a huge tangent. I know, and I'm going to spoil something for you. So I know that we've just talked and you haven't seen all the Harry Potters, right? Right, right. Okay, so I'm going to spoil something for you. I'm not a big fan of the... I like the books. I think they're... Regardless of who wrote them, I think they're very well written and they're mm -hmm. very speedy. And, you know, I, I don't know if they have a lot of the more problematic stuff that, that's going on now tied into them. But yeah, I don't particularly like those first two movies. I think they're very dry. I think they're like um, like maps of what the books are. It's like, this mm. is the... You read the book. This is the book. You imagine what the book looks like. This is what the book looks like. The cast is great, but there's no adventure to the filmmaking. It just gives you exactly what you want. Mm. Write down... And my, my big problem with the first two Harry Potters is they both end with a deuce ex machina like mm -hmm. you know thing in the first one harry's about to die and the bad guy for some reason harry puts his his hands on the bad guy's face and the bad guy's face melts and he dies and so harry's like okay well what that was great and then it cuts and the dumbledore character says oh by the way you were able to do that because of love mm. like oh Okay, where was that built into the movie where I thought that was a skill that he was trying to achieve, where he knew what he was doing and used his smarts to pull that off? The second Harry Potter does the same thing. It's down to the end and he's about to be killed by the bad guy and this falcon or phoenix or whatever. I don't care. It brings in this like <laughs> this magical sword that Harry's able to defeat the bad guy with. And then it cuts and you have the scene with Dumbledore and he goes, oh, because you were so good at heart, you willed that sword into existence. And again, it's like, why am I investing in a two and a half hour movie for the hero to succeed without knowing how he succeeds through sure. no skill of his own? Yeah, because yeah. he's just got magic powers that he's unaware of. And then I remember specifically, I didn't see Chamber of Secrets in the theater because I didn't care to, but my in-laws took us to see Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban in the theaters because they were really getting connected to it. And again, it's fine. Corone gives the movie a lot of life. He gives a lot of personality. I, I laughed more in the first 10 minutes than I did in the first five hours of the first two. So it's great. But it comes to what you think is the end. And Harry's about to die. 
And then somebody comes in and saves him. And I'm like, all right, this is just the same thing. That was fun. Let's go home. But then the movie stops and it picks up again. And it does a surprise like third or fourth act mm. where they go back in time and they're able to solve certain things. And the moment I realized what it was doing, that it was going to go back and it was going to start revisiting things. And I was just in love from that movie from that second on. Uh-huh. And so that's where my love for Harry Potter started while, while I'll defend those movies because Alfonso Cuaron was able to make a movie that I loved and felt like a movie and not just, you know, travelogue or a map through scenes or, um, you know, stuff like that. So how I'm tying this in is I talked about how Maverick was good. It was good. Like there was, and it built up, you know, when they're going on the mission, it was great. I thought the movie was going to end number one when Maverick gets shot down. Mm-hmm. I thought, because they were building to that, right? Like he, sure. he, I felt like he was going to die. And then, but it, it pop back up and oh and then he's gonna die again but then rooster comes in and then rooster gets shot down and maverick has to watch it and i thought oh that's where the movie's gonna end but then no it it comes back on and it picks up again with the behind enemy line stuff and from that moment on you know when Cruz goes to see rooster and he's still alive i don't know how it was in your theater but when they're running to each other and you expect them to hug and maverick shoves him down (laughs) and they have that argument and he's like what are you doing what are you and he's like you told me not to think and Cruz. Maverick can't say anything. It's just huge gales of laughter. It was such oh, yeah. a good, it was wonderful. Pleasing. Yeah, it was wonderful. Just a crowd pleasing moment. And then when they, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, I've got a plan or whatever. And then they go and you can tell what they're doing. They're going to steal another jet. From that moment on, I had my prisoner of Azkaban that moment where I was like, this, this is great. Like all of a sudden it went from a good movie to one of the greatest things I'd ever seen in the theater. Sure. Just because of the, the Falter Buyer Zimmer score, I think Zimmer has a good way of like, pulsing or pushing narratives forward that you feel invested in him and it just makes you feel tense speaking of Dunkirk um so just that whole ending reminded me of how I was okay and I liked the movie like I was with Prisoner of Azkaban when it picks up and it does something else and then it's about like Maverick and Rooster bonding and then finally getting along and you know learning to trust each other that's where the movie again it went from good to or maybe it went from great to stratospheric because mm. I was invested in that point it just, again, it just reminded me of that Prisoner of Azkaban moment where I was, I was doing fine, but then something something clicked. Sure. And then sure. I was just invested. So, wow. Like, I can't tell you the last time a movie did that for me. That's so awesome when movies do that. And, you know, like you said, I haven't seen Prisoner of Azkaban, but, you know, just bringing up Coron, I hadn't thought of this ahead of time, but um, in my Letterboxd review of Maverick, I, I said that exhilarating is the word I would use, and I haven't used that word in a long time. Another movie I would probably use exhilarating for is Gravity. So Gravity, yep. Coron really, he gets that feeling of just like all of your attention and all of your breath is tied up in what's happening yeah. on screen and just getting completely sucked in. So, I mean, yeah, he, he's fantastic. He's, he's such a great filmmaker. Investment is a word I think we take for granted. I, I don't... <sighs> Like Spider-Man No Way Home, I I wasn't liking it until Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield showed up. And yeah, it's fan servicey stuff. But the way that they, uh, reading the behind the scenes stuff, when they came back in, they were like, we want to make sure that this is worthwhile. It's not just a cameo. Yeah. And they have arcs. They both have arcs yeah. in that last hour of the movie. And it's, again, it comes down to investment. Like if you were to invest, that's what I look for, right? You can have all the fan service in the world, but unless I'm invested in your characters. Yeah. And the drama that they're going through, you're not you're not going to reel me in. I just, I just think I'm not going to say that Maverick is the greatest blockbuster of all time, but it is a blockbuster in the finest sense of the term, and that it sure. does get you invested and get you pumped. And 
you want to go see it again, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Maverick is a blockbuster, but another thing that Maverick is, and this will be my last puzzle piece, is a great dad movie. And so I wanted to bring a dad movie into this. I, I was debating between Ford v. Ferrari and Saving Private uh, Ryan. I'm going to go ooh. Saving Private Ryan because, I okay. mean, you know, you can't leave anyone behind. And so especially that whole final sequence, it kind of yeah. plays with some of those same feelings wow. and that same uh, same ideas there of, of like having to, you know, have that that loyalty and duty to to the guys that you're that you're yeah. working with, you know, and and uh, I'm taking my dad to see this tomorrow at the time of recording. So I'm sure he's going to love it. I, I'm sure a lot of people are are bonding with their families over this movie. Mm. You know, it's just uh, it's just great stuff. Well, I, I can't tell you how many times. Again, it's going to sound like I live on Twitter. I really don't. <laughs> but I guess I, I just find the right. Okay. Okay. Well, sure. I do that. Sure. Let's do that. Yeah, I, yeah. There's no embarrassment there. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've already seen people say, I've seen it. This is my third time. I'm bringing mom and dad with me this time. Or this is my second time. I brought my dad. Yeah. Or I brought my dad to see it the first time. And we hugged at the end. It's, yeah. just, <laughs> just that it's, it's a bonding moment. I, when was the last time, I, again, I guess Spider-Man counts because everybody's kind of connected with their love for superheroes and sure. past Spider-Mans or whatever, where you can have Garfield and McGuire and uh, Holland and I'll have your favorite Spider-Mans like represented on screen. I, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't, I didn't see Spider-Man with a huge crowd, but just, I hope this movie does that. I hope it like people go back again and again and just, they share with it and they're bringing people because this is, I think it's nostalgia done right. Like yeah. you said, it, it gets all that stuff out of the way first and it, it sneaks up on you because it's making you invest in characters while you're not expecting it. So by the time again, Cruz takes off from that, that, uh, the boat or the, the, the ship, you're invested in everybody's and what they're there for. It just, it works so well that I, I think we take it for granted. Saving private Ryan's a great because, that is it. That whole last part is they're trying to save ideals. They're trying to save each other. Sure. You don't know who's going to live, who's going to die. Um, obviously, Private Ryan for me, I think I'd probably put that as my favorite war movie of all time. I think so. Yeah, it's a, that's and, a good pick for that. <laughs> yeah. And just be, mostly because like people that were in World War II had experienced that and couldn't communicate what they saw or what they went through to their grandkids or their kids they went to go see that movie or their kids went to go see the movie and were like this is what my grandpa couldn't talk about yeah this is why he couldn't tell me about his experiences and they had even if you're the grandpa wasn't alive they had these bonding moments where they're able to see generations and yeah. how they work and how you know all the things that we go through and so that's even though Saving Private Ryan, it's Spielberg, obviously. It's gorgeously made. It's the whole last scene. It's Spielberg. He can't help make it like an intense, visceral thrill ride, even though it's about people dying. Yeah. But more important than that is the fact that people bonded over it because of what their grandparents went through. Yeah. I hope Maverick has the same effect. I hope it is one of these big movies that people... Again, it's it's not like... It, it didn't change my life or anything. It's not one of those movies. But sure. as far as blockbusters go... If I'm, I wish more movies were made like this. I wish more movies were made with the care, even though it has the fan service. I wish movies had this kind of oomph and this kind of personality and this kind of emotion to it that that Top Gun Maverick has. Yeah, and it's sad that they don't. I don't. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it, it is. It is. And uh, Hollywood only listens to one thing, and that's money. And it's the biggest <laughs> uh, opening of Tom Cruise's career, biggest Ooh. Memorial Day opening of all time. So maybe they'll listen and make a few movies like this again. Yeah, we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully they won't take the wrong lessons. It's going to be interesting seeing what happens when Jurassic Park dominion world you know whenever it comes out i'm, I'm interested to see how they're gonna play 
thoughts. <laughs> something to stack up to. How are they going to pull that off, especially uh, in the wake of this one, man? I yeah, I do not. I, I do not envy uh, Chris Pratt and company. But uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go ahead and read down our finished puzzle here. We right. talked about Ghostbusters Afterlife, Creed. We also threw Mad Max Fury Road in there. Uh, Star Wars, the Mission Impossible series, Edge of Tomorrow, Dunkirk. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and Saving Private Ryan. You know, lots of blockbusters, lots of legacy sequels, and just lots of great stuff. I mean, it's a great list of uh, yeah. movies here. So Yeah, and not necessarily things that Maverick copied. It's just great things about these movies that are ported over and used for this movie. It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man, if, if all movies were like this, uh, we'd, we'd be, we'd be spoiled. I think. I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm trying to think if I have any like closing thoughts on this one. Do, do you have anything like that we didn't quite get to with uh, the puzzle pieces? Well, I mentioned behind enemy lines. I was trying to think of movies. Um, I think where the hero is like, uh, you know, you know, he's going to die, but he marches into battle anyway. And the closest mm-hmm. I could come was another Tom Cruise movie, which is last samurai. Oh, sure. Um, but not, it didn't resonate as strong. I just thought, well, there are better things that we can talk about besides yeah. that. I, 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 did I just say this? I like the Lady Gaga song. Oh. Maybe I'll just say it twice. Killer song. So, it it yeah, rules. Yeah. Better than Take My Breath Away, I'm sorry yeah. to say. But, uh-huh. you know, it's nice hearing Danger Zone in there. I think we basically covered everything other than Tom Cruise, man, no matter what he does, I wish I could do that. I wish I could. And, and again, no matter what you think of him, I, I can't. As long as he's not peddling the stuff that he's like notorious for at me. Yeah, yeah. Like I know that I it's hard for me to watch like American Beauty because all the stuff that Kevin Spacey is, and I try to separate my stuff from it, but it's just it hits too close to home that it's it's an uncomfortable watch for me. I can't watch it anymore, you know, yeah, because yeah. of that whole thing. So regardless of what you think of Cruz or what he does, and I'm glad that we're past that era or Mission Impossible Three where he basically like torpedoed his career by talking about Scientology kind of, and that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Just that he's able to buckle down and hearing the interview saying, I only make movies for the big screen or seeing his intro saying, we've made this movie for you. We hope you have a fun time with it. And it's like, thank you for making like my trip back to the movies worthwhile. Thank you for making this weekend, like something that I'm going to remember. And like, I don't know. Sure. The Marvel movies do that. I, I don't mean to keep kicking them, but I, I don't know if they do it to this level of like this or mission impossible where, it's an experience yeah. and it's not just going out and eating McDonald's and having a good time eating McDonald's. I don't want to nitpick or kick that stone, but you know, it's not a processed piece of work, even though it's an IP. I don't know. I just, yeah. there's, there's so many good things to talk about with this movie, even though it doesn't, it's not perfect. Like we talked about, but it, it does so many things right that I don't know. It's, how, hard, it's hard not to love it. How do you feel about uh, this movie as a metaphor for blockbuster movie making? Because that's one thing that I was thinking while I was watching it is just like, you know, Maverick's this guy who, you know, was the best, you know, and they're the military. Hollywood is trying to like, you know, go forward without him. But, you know, it's just not going to work without like a star, a real movie star in the driver's seat to uh, to actually, you know, make real blockbusters again. Well, <laughs> if we're going to do like a bonus to pull in another puzzle piece, if we were to compare this movie to Jurassic World, I know I just talked with uh, Jason. Sorry to keep bringing up like other podcasts oh, on your show, cool. which is great. But I, we talked briefly about, okay, so Jurassic World is, it's the same thing. Like they literally bring out a, a great white shark, which again was the birth of the blockbuster with Spielberg, sure. who made Jurassic Park, who produced Jurassic World. And then you have a big giant, like 
eight, 80 times larger dinosaur pop out and eat the shark. Yeah. You know, what is that saying? You have the scene where the Bryce Dallas Howard character and Chris Pratt, uh, Claire and Owen, they're with that brontosaurus, which is a, a an animatronic, which is not CG, and how it dies, that could be a metaphor for how CG is taking over from sure. practical work. So you have all this, but the problem with Jurassic World is it keeps saying, oh, yeah, this isn't going to be as good, and then it's not as good. It's like, <laughs> sure. don't yeah. do that. Like, don't, don't make fun of yourself, and then just be one of those crappy movies. Yeah. Be a good movie. I think what Top Gun does, and again, I'm going to keep coming back to it, Getting that nostalgia and the fan service out of the way in the first half, it's saying, yeah, that's what this is. But, and we know that it's Top Gun, so it's a very 80s movie. It's not going to, you know, whatever your memories of it are. But we're going to give you a good, solid movie. Yeah. This is what blockbusters are meant for. So, as an antithesis to Jurassic World, which I don't mind, I just thought that, man, don't make fun of yourself and then just be one of those crappy movies. Sure. Like, yeah. Invest, invest in making this good. And, I, I think that's great. A metaphor for blockbusters. They're a dying breed because nobody nobody really invests or, or puts this much stock or emotion into movies like this yeah. one does. I, I, I'm just loving Jurassic World as like the bar band that says, everybody drink <laughs> up because we suck, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's true. That's the thing. It feeds into its own narrative. It's, ah. Oh, ah. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, well, yeah, I think that does it for Top Gun Maverick. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to uh, recommend to our listeners? Well, the only thing we watched recently was the Chip and Dale movie, which again, nostalgia. Sure. I, I think the jokes work well enough in it. It's it's fine. Like it it doesn't don't compare it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit because it's nowhere in the same league story wise. Mm-hmm. Um, watch Roger Rabbit again if you want to see how that's going to be done right. And again, it's got the nostalgia for all the characters, cartoon characters that I loved and you loved as a kid. Sure, but it's at the behest of a good narrative story. Like Chip and Dale is likable and it's it's fine, and my kids like it and they watched it a few times and it's not offensive. Like there's they don't shove anything down your throat. But like you talked about, it's not really that funny. It's like. Right more brazen than it is hilarious but yeah you know nostalgia wise you could do you could still do worse yeah you could still do you could still be jurassic world (laughs) yes that's true that is that is true you could well uh awesome uh darren why do you tell people again where they can find you and your podcast Again, we're at Nostalgia Cast. My, my best friend Johnny and I, we take movies, best friend, childhood friend, we take movies that we loved. Um, I think we're on a hiatus right now because Johnny's moving uh, houses from a starter home into an actual home that they're building. But when we come back, I think what we're going to do for the next season, you're getting the exclusive here, oh, Dave. nice. We're going to do 90s movies, like strictly 90s movies, movies that we went to go see, movies that we loved, stuff like Forrest Gump or Pulp Fiction or um, uh, Speed or stuff like that. You know, movies that we were invested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crimson Tide is another one I've been thinking of. Movies that we loved in a theater. It's not so much like at the end of every episode, we come down to, is this worth remaking? Is it worth remembering? Mm-hmm. I think maybe we're going to jettison that this season and just talk about movies. And, you know, we might be surprised. I might go in and watch, um, you know, maybe Forrest Gump and figure that this is not the movie that I remember it. And so it is worth remaking or worth not remembering. I don't know. Yeah. But we do want to kind of delve into movies that are more popular, that maybe more people have heard of. That's what we're going to do next season. So it'll be fun. We, we want to have more guests on. I'd uh, love to have you, obviously, on to talk about anything. I'd love to. I, I yeah. There's so many movies from the 90s that I watched, like, the one-time opening weekend and just haven't seen it since, you know? So Right. But yeah. that you remember loving. Right? Yeah. We, we want to go back. 
back and do that. So yeah, again, you can find me at DW Lundberg on Twitter. That's mainly where I am. I try to get a Facebook. David, I know you have a Facebook uh, group. Mm-hmm. I know Kevin Brackett has a Facebook, but I, I can't, I can't do it. Like I, I scroll through Facebook like three or four times and I'm like, I can't do this. If there was a magic button I could push <laughs> to move my group yeah. somewhere else, I would do it. But yeah, know. and I try. It's just like, I, by the time I, I, I can't even get to your, your group before I'm like, I'm out. Like, yeah. so I've got to like reinvest it. <laughs> I guess that what I want to leave it again, it's an honor coming on here because piecing it together is something I've been listening to for a while. It's great conversational. I don't mean to knock other podcasts that I've guested on, but this whole time since we planned this and since we decided like what time we're going to do this and everything, it's just, I've been looking forward to it. I haven't been nervous. I've been like just aching to talk about this movie with you because piecing it together is so conversational. There's no, obviously you want to prep and you want to know what you're talking about, but we're just chatting movies. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen, it's not like me to see a movie opening weekend. So that's a big thing for me talking Maverick with you. Yeah. I don't usually, you know, get invited on podcasts or have conversations about new movies. I usually talk about old movies. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's just, again, I can't tell you how, how honored I am that, that you had had me on or that I roped you into having me on. Uh, the top top. Well, I I appreciate all of that, man. That is that is awesome. Such kind words, and uh, it was great talking to you. And I'd love to have you back sometime. Okay, I'm always up for it. Again, always up for conversation with people I admire and people that I can chat with and have disagreements without getting into you know over a platform or, or teleconferencing call fistfights. That's what social so. media is for. Podcasts are <laughs> yeah. for having fun conversations. Yeah, just yeah. slap at each other. So yeah, that'd be great. Anytime <laughs> you want to have me back on, I'd love to be back on. This is great. I appreciate it. Hey guys, this is David, and I wanted to tell you about Newsly. It's an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. And what it does is really cool because, I don't know, if you're like me, I don't have a lot of time for just sitting around and reading stuff. I'm always either driving or doing something. And just to, like, sit down and read, it's like, you know, who has time for that? And so with Newsly... You could basically turn any web article into kind of like a podcast and it reads the article in a natural human voice from basically anything on the internet, anything on the web. And this way, you know, you don't have to sit there reading and scrolling. You can listen to it just like you would a podcast. And it's got podcasts too. Piecing It Together is on there. Uh, But then you could also find articles from all kinds of topics from, you know, entertainment and movies to sports and tech and business, science, all that kind of stuff. So really, if it's out there on the web, you can find it and you can listen to it. And uh, I've been using it as my default podcast app and you can too. And you can download Newsly right now for free from newsly.me. Check out the link in the show notes. It's available, like I said, on uh, Android and iOS in the uh, App Store and the Play Store. And there is a premium version available. And my listeners can get a one-month free premium subscription by using the promo code PIECINGIT. But all of the I's are ones. So that's P-1-E-C-1-N-G-1-T. Piecing it, but all of the I's are ones. And uh, I've got that in the show notes too. If you're uh, like me, out driving around listening to stuff, uh, and you can't pull over right now, you can check it in the show notes and find that promo code and get that free one-month premium subscription to Newsly. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Top Gun Maverick. 
Thanks to Darren Lundberg from Nostalgia Cast for joining me on that one. Make sure to check out that Little Shop of Horrors episode. We had a lot of fun talking about that movie. Little Shop of Horrors is so damn good. Uh, but yeah, everybody that's out there listening, thank you so much for being there and for listening to Piecing It Together. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And if you like what we do here, make sure to rate and review us. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Good Pods, on Podchaser, Spotify, a nice five-star rating would be very helpful, and we would really appreciate it. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon. I told you about it at the top of the show. I'll just remind you, there's a lot of episodes in the can that are just sitting there on the Patreon waiting to be listened to and will eventually make their way out to the main feed, but uh, you can check them out early. Again, it's patreon.com slash Rosen. We do appreciate it. All the people who subscribe to that Patreon. And I'm almost done scoring this feature film right now. Once I get done with it, I will finally be able to get back to work on my next album. And Top Gun Maverick being obviously one of the biggest movies of the year, I figure it's a good opportunity to preview some of the new music i've been working on so this is a track called horizon lines uh, it'll be on my next album it's not it's not 100 percent done in the form that i'm playing it right now but it's pretty close i'd say it's like i don't know 80 percent or something like that so uh yeah this will be on my next album whenever that ends up getting finished uh, i hope you enjoy it we will be back with more piecing it together real soon
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.